Clovis, building a healthy life together. What's up, everybody? Justin Nall here with another episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. Before we dive in, I am very excited to announce the official launch of the free Clovis 5-Day Challenge. That's right. You can now register for the Clovis 5-Day Challenge by visiting ClovisChallenge.com. Again, that's ClovisChallenge.com. Once you register for the Clovis 5-Day Challenge, you will receive a daily email from me, one per day over the next five days, and each email will include different lessons covering different aspects of health and wellness. Along with the daily emails, you will also get access to the Clovis Challenge website. You will get your own login credentials so you can access all of the video content that goes along with the daily emails. Each day, you can read your email lesson and then log into the membership website to check out the daily video. This is a three to five minute video of me that corresponds with the lesson of the day, allowing me to dig even deeper and help you get an even better grasp on all of these topics that we cover over the course of the five day challenge. On top of that, each and every daily email will have a continue learning section, which will provide links to Clovis YouTube videos, giving you even more educational content covering the topic of the day to really cement these ideas in your brain. Did I mention that all of this is 100% free? That's right, free. I have to say that over and over because I am really just super proud of this program and there is so much content. Trust me, my promise to you is that if you really take the time to dig into all of these daily emails, all of the daily videos, and then take the time to dig into the continued learning videos I provide in those emails, I promise you, Over five days' time, you could have all of the tools necessary to live a life of optimal health and wellness. It's really that simple. I have taken all of the core principles of Clovis and distilled them down into one five-day challenge. And again, you can sign up for free at ClovisChallenge.com. Again, ClovisChallenge.com. There is no reason why you should not do this. It is nothing but free content, and I made the content myself, and I assure you, it is amazing. I am incredibly proud of it. Please, please go to ClovisChallenge.com right now and register for the free five-day challenge. You will be very glad that you did. Now, back to the podcast episode. My guest today is Dr. Anthony J. At this point, you probably know him well because I am constantly raving about him and his amazing book, Estrogeneration. This is also his second appearance on the Clovis Culture Podcast with a very particular mission in mind for this episode. As you may remember from my first episode with Dr. J, he does genetics consulting, meaning he will take the raw data from genetics testing, such as 23andMe, and he will interpret that data for you and help you take actionable steps to improve your health and wellness using things like lifestyle changes and or supplementation, or he'll recommend further testing or specific types of exercise. It's really unbelievable what he is able to get out of this raw data. And that's what we do here on this episode. I provided Dr. J with my raw genetics data. I did my testing with 23andMe. I also provided him with my latest copy of blood work, just really extensive blood work, including a full NMR lipid profile, a full uh, comprehensive metabolic panel, just a whole bunch of information. And I have also made all of that available to you if you want to follow along with this podcast. I have set up the show notes at clovis.show slash genetics, clovis.show slash genetics, and I have included 
PDFs of both my blood work and my DNA report that I received from Dr. Anthony J. So you can actually follow along with this podcast in real time if you want to and look at the same documents that Dr. Anthony J. and I are looking at while having this discussion. And I must say that this episode was really eye-opening for me because I tend to look at things through the lens of epigenetics, meaning that genetics predispose, they do not predetermine. I was under the impression, and you'll hear me voice this in this episode, where I thought that epigenetics were probably 95% of the equation. I just kind of saw it as, yeah, sure, we have these genetics that we inherit, but we can change these things through epigenetics. And really optimizing for this type of DNA testing is really just the top 5%. It's the last 5% in full optimization of human health. But as you'll hear, Dr. J really sheds some light on this for me and explains to me that modern man can really be debilitated by the genetic blueprint, which is the hard DNA. You will hear him talk about the fact that I am quite lucky that I have really good genes in most categories. And there are assuredly other people that have terrible genes in every category, in which case I would imagine that virtually no mainstream or even alternative approach to health and wellness is going to work perfectly for them. They really need something that is individualized, something that addresses their specific needs as a unique individual who may have not necessarily won the genetic lottery and really been dealt a bad hand in terms of inherited genetics. You'll also get a much deeper dive into the brilliance of Dr. J. He really understands how all of these different things work together. He views this in a holistic way and kind of sees all of these genetics and categories of genetics as interconnected. They really all have to play well with one another. And he has to take the entire picture into account before he gives any advice. And you'll hear him talk about this in this episode, particularly the fact that I have a boatload of leaky gut genes, meaning my inherited genetics put me at a much higher risk of leaky gut syndrome. You will hear Dr. J talk about how I should absolutely avoid grains at all costs. Now, if we stop and think about this, I started my own nutrition company, Clovis, based on the foundational principles of the paleo or ancestral diet, which does not include grains. Now, Seven or eight years ago, when I made the switch to a grain-free diet, I had no idea what my genetics were. I had never tested these things. All I knew was that as soon as I removed grains from the diet, I felt astronomically better and never wanted to go back. And now, here I am, years later, just confirming what my body naturally told me, and that is that grains do not agree with me. And in particular, they do not agree with my inherited genetics. So anyway, that's just one of the many things you'll learn in this podcast. We also talk about cholesterol and risk of cardiovascular disease. We talk about risk of Alzheimer's. We talk about risk of injury from exercise. We even go as far as to talk about pain tolerance and how I have an unusually high pain tolerance and a very low sensitivity to pain. Very, very interesting stuff. I really think you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. 
And I want to remind you that Dr. J does do DNA consulting, and he now also has a team of coaches who can do DNA consulting with you as well. So all you would have to do is get your hands on your raw genetic data using a service like 23andMe, and then visit ajconsultingcompany.com and click on the DNA analysis tab. And I will, of course, link that for you in the show notes and book a session with either Dr. J himself or one of his coaches to analyze your DNA and get some input on how to maximize your health and wellness based on your genetic data. You can also find Dr. Anthony J on Instagram at Anthony G J. That's Anthony, the letter G, and then J A Y, Anthony G J. And you'll hear us reference his Instagram in this episode because he has some great, great information that he shares on there on a regular basis. And that's enough of my long winded intro. I will let this episode speak for itself and let you guys dig in. You are going to learn a ton in this episode. I really think you're going to love it. Feel free to hit us with your feedback. Hit up Dr. Anthony J. Let me know if you have any questions. Uh, you're going to love this one. So enjoy the episode episode. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and leave me a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. I know that leaving a podcast review can be quite tricky, so I have made this as easy as possible for you. All you have to do is visit ratethispodcast.com slash Clovis. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash Clovis. I've also included this link in the show notes, so you can just click that link and it will show you a list of podcast platforms. Select your favorite podcast platform and you will see step-by-step on-screen instructions for exactly how to leave a podcast review. Each and every review counts. It really, really helps and it truly means the world to me. Thank you. All right, let's get on with the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Justin Nall here with another episode of The Clovis Culture. Today, I am joined once again by the amazing, incredible, brilliant Dr. Anthony J. And today, we're going to be diving into genetics, uh, genetics testing, the human genome, I guess we'd call it. Um, so I'll let Anthony just let us know what we're going to be doing today. Yeah, rock on. I mean, so you actually sent me your DNA data from what, 23andMe or Ancestry? I forget. Yep, that was 23andMe, just the 23andMe. raw data. Yep, exactly. And that's the beauty of both of those companies, Ancestry.com, 23andMe.com. They send you the, I mean, you can access your own raw data file. Some of these DNA sequencing companies, they won't even give you your own data. So they'll Mm -hmm. do your DNA and then they keep all the information on there and they won't even give it to you. So if you do have your DNA done, make sure it's through a company that will actually give you the data. I didn't even realize some companies did that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's absurd, but but it doesn't mean anything to most people, right? It's like thousands of pages of just code, right? Yeah. So for most people, it's not even beneficial, but of course there's a free online software you can use to kind of look through some of these genes that you might have problems with or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and of course I use it and I have my own software. I have my own uh, custom written uh, script that I use and it spits out a report for me and it analyzes people's genetics and, um, and then I go through that with people through my consulting company. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing that for a lot of years now. I started my consulting company in 2010. Um, and I, I actually started it because I, I don't remember if we talked, we probably didn't talk about this last time, but I used to design viruses. I was a virus designer. We did touch on that briefly. Yeah. You worked for the government, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And, and so I, crazy. so I started a consulting company in order to basically get these contracts that I was doing anyways. Mm-hmm. And 
when I say virus designer, I was creating these neutered viruses, we call them, okay. because you take out all the bad genes and you basically design the DNA, you put it in human cells and then the human cells will spit. I mean, these are just cells in a dish, right? Right. But the cells will actually spit out virus for you into the liquid that the cells grow in. And then you harvest those viruses. You, you centrifuge them down and you spin them down. Wow. And then you can take those viruses, inject them into animals and do all kinds of genetic manipulations in animal studies to try and cure Alzheimer's and things. It wasn't like we were making evil viruses. Right, right. We were actually trying to do some beneficial research with them. Mm -hmm. um, but then, of course, just with all that DNA work I was doing, 20, this was all in the midst of 23andMe having issues with the FDA because they were basically sticking their middle finger up at the FDA and saying, you guys can't shut us down. And the FDA shut them down. And, and then, so I was, wow. people were coming to me and saying, well, can you look at my DNA code? Because 23andMe is unable to do anything with this genetic information, but I still have all this DNA information. So people were coming to me and I started, I did my own. I did, you know, all, all my extended family, all this. And it's really powerful, the information you get. And even today, 23andMe, they, they'll give you these reports. And you mm -hmm. probably have, have experienced this where they give you like a report and it'll tell you your eye color. Yeah. It'll tell you like if you have a like a photic reflex, if you're going to sneeze when you go out in the sun or things like this, like just meaningless information. Yeah. They even say like, uh, you probably don't like cilantro or whatever. Like, Yeah. It might taste like soap. Yeah. 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 And it's like people get those reports and they think that the information is just really limited. So all they use it for is ancestry. But in reality, the health information is there. It's super interesting and, and quite deep. Yeah. Um, and that's of course what we're going to go through today so that people can understand some of the potential. And I guess we'll use your genetics to, to kind of frame that discussion. Yeah. And I obviously have, you know, I'm excited about this for selfish reasons, just because I want to dive into to my information as well. But yeah, I've looked into like the um, like Promethease. I've run mine through Promethease. Yeah. I did one called DNA Fit, which was not free. That was a little pricey. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it really is without having like, I don't, I don't have a PhD in biochem or like a background in genetics or anything. So it's even something like Promethease was just so overwhelming for me. I'm like, exactly. wait a minute, what am I even looking at here? It's really, really complex. Right. Yeah, that's the, that's a good point. That's the other extreme. I mean, on the one extreme, you've got these reports that are pretty much meaningless and just superficial and silly. And then on the far other extreme, you've got way too much information. And the reason for that is they'll list all the associations. So like scientists will do a study on a specific gene and they'll find like a 1.3 fold increased risk for something mm -hmm. like 1.3 fold increased risk for some kind of cancer or something. Yeah or 1.5 fold increase risk for that, this kind of cancer, 1.4 fold increase risk for that kind of cancer, whatever. And you can get these online reports and it'll give you like hundreds of pages of those risks that you have for all these little things. The problem with that is when scientists repeat those exact studies with larger groups of people, mm -hmm. they never, they almost, they virtually never hold up. Okay. Because the association is so small and humans are so diverse. And yeah. So the problem is it's confusing more so than helpful because people are all concerned about all these millions of risks that they have or thousands of risks or whatever. I mean, we have 25,000 genes. So, you know, there's a lot of potential there to have just pages and pages and pages of, you know, association studies. And so anyways, what I look for is anything that's twofold or higher. Okay. You know, so that would be a 200% increase, right? Uh, well, it's usually, 
It depends. I mean, usually you'd say a hundred percent, but it depends. Okay. On... That's a twofold. Okay. Thank you for clearing yeah. that up. Like, wait a minute, a two X or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But with these association studies, they're, they're done a little bit differently in certain cases. And, but you know, and it, and it does depend on the gene and what the biochemistry is and what the gene is doing and the function of the enzyme, whatever, because sometimes for example, you'll have a genetic study and it'll show like a 70%. Well, let me just use a specific example, right? Okay. So one of the specific examples I look at is beta carotene conversion. Mm -hmm. uh, your body doesn't use beta carotene. People think beta carotene, like carotene is a vitamin, right? right? Vitamin A, mm -hmm. but, and plants make carotene. So people say eat carrots. They're good for your eyes. That's where carotene was discovered, it was right. discovered in carrots. And that's what makes carrots orange. So they say eat carrots, they're good for your eyes. But the problem is a lot of people have a genetic issue where they have literally like an 80% reduced ability to convert carotene to retinol. Retinol right. is what's good for your eyes. That's where retinol was discovered. That's the actual vitamin A in animals, right? So plants, carotene, animals, retinol. Mm -hmm. And you have to convert that. So if you eat carrots, if you eat plants, you have to convert the carotene to retinol for you to use it. But some people literally have an 80% reduced conversion of that process. And, uh, and of course, those people need to get retinol, right? Right. It's like the carotene is not really helping them out. So rather than trying to eat carrots, it's better to eat liver, mm -hmm. right? Because liver is by far the most rich source of retinol. And it's a hugely important vitamin, especially for your stem cells and your immune system. Yeah. Um, it's, people talk about the eyes, right? Like retinol because it's named retinol. But in reality, if you're getting sick all the time, you're probably just deficient in retinol. Okay. Um, I mean, it depends. There's a lot of factors. Maybe you're exposed to mold, who knows, whatever. But the point is, you, you know, a lot of cases where people just have a really poor immune system, they just don't, aren't getting enough retinol mm -hmm. and they think they are because they're eating carrots, whatever. But, um, but that's one of these things where you don't find the association studies and human studies, but you look at the actual enzyme, the actual thing that's converting beta carotene to retinol and you see an 80% problem, right? Right. That's so significant that's a similar kind of situation where I'll flag that, you know, like that's a big deal. And here's, here's another caveat with that. And the reason genetics are so important is because, <coughs> excuse me, if you just take that one gene and you say, well, all I want to know about is that one gene, right? Mm -hmm. So then you can decide whether you should, whether carrots are sufficient for getting a retinol or whether you need to get liver or something like that. Right. Sure. Because liver is by far the biggest you know, the most effective way to get more retinol. Um, the problem with that is a lot of people have high iron genes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk about that today. Exactly, because you've got one of these genes. Yeah. It's like for, in your case, it's called the homeostatic iron regulator. It's HFE, FE meaning iron in science. And if you've got problematic iron genes and then you're eating loads of liver to get that retinol, well, that's a really risky situation. And I know a lot of people that do that. I was just at a conference. Um, it's the Weston A. Price conference. I gave a couple talks there. Yeah. One of, one of them was actually two hour talk on, on estrogen. And then of course, the, another talk I gave was just a normal one hour talk and it was on stem cells, mm -hmm. um, which actually included some of this information on retinol specifically, but um, you know, like everybody in the Western A price, I love the movement because they have all these great farmers and these, this network of farmers that are raising animals in a real sustainable, healthy way without the sprays and the herbicides and the atrazine and all this. And 
so I was talking to a lot of people at lunch and everybody's eating liver. It's like part of, it's yep. like part of the group, you know, like basically you have to eat liver if you're going to be part of the group. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a lot of the people, man, they had really high iron. Yeah. And they were, they were concerned about it, but there's a lot of other people that kind of scoff at the, the concern. But in reality, I'm more worried if you've got high iron than if you've got low iron, because high iron is more of a risk for damaging your arteries. Right, right. And that was what I, I discussed that with um, with Paul Saladino, because I was I was eating four ounces of liver a day. So I have a bunch of local farmers here that I know that are all you know uh, rotational grazing, regenerative agriculture. It's fantastic. So I just get these loads of liver for a great price because I know the guys and and I was eating four ounces of liver a day. And then we get like I sent you that blood work earlier this morning as well, which is like my ferritin levels like off the charts. And then Paul goes to my 23andMe data and he's just like, oh, you have one of these one of these SNPs that you're talking about for the for hemochromatosis, I guess. Exactly. So yeah. I want to dig into all that. But uh, so first, I just want to let people know, too, that the the. I guess the danger here, the most famous story of this would be like an example, uh, Angelina Jolie, right? who ran her 23andMe data and then decides to get a, what we would call, I guess, a preventative mastectomy, mm-hmm. and which was probably completely unnecessary. So that's where this thing, this can get kind of dangerous, where you'd really want somebody like you, because there are a lot of companies right now, like, pay me $15 and I'll send you this printed PDF of your, right. what to do with your nutrition and stuff. And that gets a little scary, I think. Yeah, that's why you have to sit down and talk to people about it, I feel, because the reports, I mean, unless you're an actual scientist or so you've actually had tra- training in a lot of this information, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's one of those things you really need to sit down and discuss some of the intricacies in certain cases. You don't always need to discuss every intricacy. Obviously, it's a waste of time, but, right. you know, there's there's always these questions that come up where they they should come up. It's funny. We were just before the show, we were talking about Joe Rogan and and, and Chris Kresser and uh, uh, what's the MMA fighter with the documentary, James Wilkes, James Wilkes and that whole discussion. And apparently somebody had said that, and this was on that episode, somebody had said, Oh, you did a thousand hours or 3000 hours of research. They should just give you a PhD. Right. right. And I just kind of laugh at that because, you know, every like, Twitter nerd, you know, like PubMed searching nerd should have a PhD if that's actually true. Because right. the problem with that that idea, like give a, give him a PhD. He's looked at science data for a thousand hours. Yeah. The problem is that is part of the process of doing science is actually doing these experiments, so you know the weaknesses, right? So you don't just totally jump in with both feet and believe everything the studies say. Right, right. You have to, you have to actually have experience doing studies in certain cases. Yeah, really understand the flaws or the weaknesses or the interpretation and how scientists sometimes will spin the information to try and make it look better and this and that. Mm -hmm. So that's the other problem I see is people that even if you if you've spent any amount of time on PubMed or Google Scholar or anything like that, like you can absolutely pull up any study, scroll down to the bottom and be like conclusion and just read that. And you just decide that this is this is the way things are. And the other thing is like, I mean, I tell people this all the time, like I have a bunch in my office, I have a bunch of biochemistry textbooks. And like, guys like Rob Wolf have been like, read this biochemistry textbook. And I'm like, he's a biochemist cool. I'm going to read this textbook. That doesn't mean that I understand this at the level that he does. It's just not the case. Like I would never say I've read these four or five biochemistry textbooks. I'm an expert in biochemistry, not even close. It's just it's so much more intricate than that. It's like you've devoted your life to that the way I devoted my life to being a professional musician. So it's like, if you want to learn how to be an expert musician, sure, I'll help you with that. Right. It's a good example. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a great example because it would be like somebody who uh, is just reading books about music and has never actually played an instrument saying saying that they should have a PhD in music or something. Exactly. Yeah, I look at like the outlier Malcolm Gladwell stuff and I'm like, oh, like I literally crossed 10,000 hours of stage time when I was like 18 years old. <laughs> wow. Like, wow. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I just went to, uh, I'm sure you've heard of uh, Chris Jansen. I just went to a Chris Jansen concert, man. That oh, cool. He's awesome. He's a country music star who he, he plays the harmonica like a fiend and he was playing the drums at his own concert. And of course, he's the main act. He's like the singer as well. And I love when guys do that, when they do the... He goes around and takes other people's instruments. Yep, yep. That's killer, man. And that's how you know you're dealing with a serious musician too. And in my opinion, I don't know if people can debate that, but... Yeah, so I want I want to give people an idea too of um just a couple things before. So when we dive into this actual report, I'm gonna put all my I don't I want to share all this stuff with everybody. So I'll put my blood work, my um the the report that you gave me, I'll put in the show notes for this show. And but I just want to give people an example, like someone who's coming to this completely cold, cold. Mm -hmm. If we can just walk them through what you're looking for, so like the genome uh, terms like SNPs, heterozygous, homozygous. Can you just kind of give us a little briefing before we begin? Yeah, for sure. And I, I usually just avoid the heterohomozygous terms. And okay, um, just for simplicity, I just basically tell people, look, you know, in every cell in our body, we have two copies of DNA, mm -hmm. right? Except egg and sperm cells. Egg and sperm cells only have one copy. A lot of scientists don't even think about that. They don't realize that. Um, but it's true, you know, only one copy of DNA in the egg and sperm cell. And then of course, when they fuse together, that's where you got your copy of DNA from your mother and the copy of DNA from your father. Mm, right, right. And that's also where you get this idea in science about plus plus or plus minus or minus minus, because if you've got two copies of a gene, then you've got two options, right? So you can have a bad gene from your mother and a bad gene from your father, and that would be considered a plus plus. Um, but maybe you only have a bad gene from one parent, but then you've got a good gene from the other parent, that would be considered a plus minus. Okay. Right. And then minus minus, of course, would be two good genes. And I would just, you know, I ignore those. Right. I'm not interested in your good genes. You have thousands of them. Everybody has thousands of awesome genes, you know, and it's kind of pointless to spend hours and hours talking about your good genes. Now, it's a little bit arbitrary, though, because, you know, certain genes like like you might have a plus plus for fast twitch muscles or you might have a plus plus for slow twitch muscles. And neither of those are bad. Mm -hmm you know, but they are important to know, like it's useful to know that information. So it's not always good versus bad, but I use those terms just to make it easier for people. Sure, sure. Um, so there's always a debate about what's bad, you know? Yeah. So anyways, but but in general, the plus pluses I'm looking at are to some degree bad, problematic, dysfunctional in our modern society. And so let's figure out ways to fix it. Right, right. Well, and then you have the idea of epigenetics as well, too, because there's yeah. this idea like you're not doomed by these genetics, right? Yeah, but, you know, it, it's super important to understand that the DNA is a blueprint. So, like, if you've got a blueprint that's going to, you know, lead to a bad bathroom or something in a house and you just keep using that blueprint to make new houses, you're always going to have a bad bathroom mm. unless you do something on top of that to fix it. Right, right. Okay. So, so the blueprint, if it is problematic... It is going to be problematic, but the, but the good news is you can fix it, right? Like, like the beta carotene example. It's like if you've if you've got a problem converting carotene to retinol, you're always going to have that problem converting beta carotene to retinol, no matter how much you know exercise you do or other supplements. The main solution would be just to take the actual retinol supplement, so you can fix it, 
but it's almost like adding another bathroom onto the house or something like that. Like the blueprints messed up. Let's just, let's just find a workaround. So it's not a perfect analogy, but definitely epigenetics are hugely important. I mean, sure. Can't underestimate them because they'll turn genes on and off. Yeah. But I guess a good example would be like, you know, if you have bright blue eyes, Mm -hmm. we can't look at your genetics and be like, if you eat a bunch of beet, right. You'll have brown eyes now, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Exactly. There's definitely some genes that are hardwired and, and we're not going to fix them. Thankfully, most of the, the, the differences, you know, they're, they're modified. You can modify them. Mm -hmm. You know, these, these subtle changes between with these different genes, you can actually do things to up or down regulate the, the, you can fix the issue essentially. Okay. Um, and we'll get, we'll get through it. I mean, and you'll, people will see that I think, you know, as we go through the genes. Okay. But like I said, you know, the context matters because if you're just looking at one gene, you always have to think, you know, what about these other genes that might also play a role? And mm-hmm. like a good example of that right off the top, if you open up the PDF yep. um, and you see the gene called Fox 3 FOX 3 Oh yeah. Yeah. Got it. Brain optimization. So basically for people that are, that are listening, I actually have five different categories that I look at. Mm-hmm. The first one being the brain, uh, the second one being diet. And then I look at detox and hormone genes and vitamin genes, like basically detox, vitamin, hormone, all those like kind of lumped together. Mm-hmm. That would be category three. Category four would be the gym and training. And then finally, the category five would be sleep, your sleep genes. Um, so those are the five categories we're looking at. Awesome. And the first chunk of genes I'm looking for are Alzheimer's risk genes. Right. And, and the interesting thing about those is even if you've, oftentimes Alzheimer's is like the far extreme. It's like, if you've gotten to the point where you've got Alzheimer's, you've done something wrong for a lot of years. Yes. So usually, in my opinion, you can prevent Alzheimer's if you start real early doing the right thing in the right way. The problem is there's a lot of different Alzheimer's risks, right? I mean, like you'll see here, there's five different categories that I have. You know, some people get Alzheimer's because they have chronic inflammation Mm -hmm. and there's actually genes in your brain that are involved in clearing inflammatory products and and dealing with inflammation in your brain. And that's different from inflammation in your joints and different from other forms of inflammation, right? Sometimes inflammation is very localized. It's not just throughout your whole body. It might just be chronic inflammation in your joints. And then you get a blood test. It doesn't look like you've got inflammation. So you think you're fine. Right. Right. Similar with the brain, you know, like for the most part, researchers aren't tapping into your cerebral spinal fluid and (laughs) checking for inflammatory chemicals that are actually in, in the fluid in your brain. Right. Because you have to tap into your spinal cord to do those studies. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that sort of thing. So that's just one category of Alzheimer's. Another risk would be heavy metals, for example, and you don't have any genes in either of these categories. So I'm bringing them up because it's important to know that like, if you've got a problem clearing heavy metals from your brain, mm-hmm. well, then you better be like a lot more proactive about checking for heavy metals. And then if you've got high heavy metals, make sure to get them down, figure out the foods that, you know, there's so many of them, there's cobalt, there's chromium, there's cadmium, you know, there's all kinds of other ones just to guess you know, isn't really an effective strategy for, you know, for, for decreasing your heavy metals. You really want to know, excuse me, and you want to figure it out if you've got those genes. Yeah, absolutely. 
and, and similar with some of these other categories, right? Like the carbs, the first gene I wanted to bring up was the FOXO3 because some people, they deal really well with carbs, mm-hmm. with their kidneys and their whatever, their liver. And then, and the, but their brain does a really poor job. Yes. Right? And then uh, alternatively, some people, their brain does phenomenal with carbs, but their body does really poorly with carbs and they get diabetes or whatever. And then some people just phenomenal with carbs across the board. Sure. And that's pretty rare to be honest. I don't think humans are really designed to eat a high carb diet. I mean, yeah, me neither. 90 plus percent of people, but you do find that random person that can every once in a while. And usually they think everybody should eat a high carb diet because, you know, they don't get fatigued from it or whatever, but but the, for you, you've got this gene that gives you a lot more brain fog if you've got a high carb diet. Plus, it actually leads to Alzheimer's risk. Um, okay. At the end of the day, long, long term. But even in the short term, like I said, you know, you want to optimize your brain performance. Be careful with carbs, man. I mean, if you're eating, uh, you know, a, a fair amount of carbs, make sure you're training, right, and burning them, putting them into your muscles, and all this kind of thing. Right. And you've probably experienced that, right? I mean. You probably know if you eat a huge meal with a bunch of carbs, you just want to take a nap. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. The other question I had here that's a concern for me is uh, I worked with a functional medicine doctor once who looked at this, just my raw data. And uh, he's like, hey, have you ever had any concussions? And I was like, oh boy, because I was a boxer. <laughs> oh, wow. So I'm like, I don't know. And I was like, you know, I don't know when was a concussion, when wasn't. I know times like my nose was busted open, I'm bleeding. I was like, probably head trauma, like all these different times. So he was just like, okay, like you need to be really careful. Um, He was like, one, don't ever box again. Like you don't want to do that, like sparring and stuff like that. So um, is that a concern here, having specific genes? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think the APOE4 gene would be the biggest concern with the head trauma. Okay. Um. Although people kind of debate that, I just gave a talk for the special forces, my second talk for them, it was for like 200 leaders in the special operations at um, at one of these military bases. And the whole focus, the whole talk was about brain optimization. It was based on genes because most people are just giving these broad recommendations for everybody. Right. But you see guys like Julian Edelman, right? These football players that are just getting banged year after year with their head, you know, just getting crushed and they keep playing and they keep yeah, you know, performing at a high level. Now, I don't think that's good for anybody, right? But right. but some people can certainly handle it a lot better than other people, and there are genetic differences there. Well, there are examples of this too. I remember, uh, I think his name was Chris Henry. I want to say it was a Cincinnati Bengals uh, receiver, I believe, mm-hmm. who had a this big domestic dispute with his wife, and there was an accident, and he died. And but just a whole lot of anger. Uh, WWE superstars like Chris Benoit had this famous like murder suicide of his family, which was crazy. Um, but I know like Chris Henry, Chris Benoit, they do autopsies on these guys. Yeah. I, w- I used to do them. I used to do them. Really? I was involved in that. Wow. Yeah. That was my lab in Boston. When I used to do Alzheimer's research, I, uh, like I was in the, my lab. I wasn't me. It wasn't me. I wasn't leading that lab, but, uh, we were in the New York times. We were on CNN with Sanjay Gupta, all this kind of stuff. And, and McKee was the one leading the lab. McKee is M C K E E, I think. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I used to go with her every Thursday and do brain cuttings at the morgue. Yeah. And it was all these NFL players that had donated their brains and their families and, and the boxers. All, and we even had military people that had like, they basically had, what, what you end up getting is plaques in your brain from these concussions. Mm-hmm. And that when you have Alzheimer's, there's two different kinds of plaques. There's amyloid, like A-beta, they call it. And then there's tau, T-A-U, it's called, tau plaques. 
And when you have Alzheimer's, you've got both of those generally. But with the uh, with the concussions, you just generally get the amyloid plaques. It's different. Okay. Um, and it's kind of a long topic. Like we could literally spend a whole podcast talking about this stuff. But right, right. But the point is, like, for you, I think just looking at your genes, you know, the main if you had a brain injury, I think you're pretty good to be honest. You've got excellent genes across the board, really, but especially in the brain category. But if you did have a brain, uh, if you had a concussion, I would say go keep, you know, go keto for a while. Okay. And a lot of people say that just as a general, you know, piece of advice, but for you, I don't think that's true for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's might help a little bit for most people, but for you, it's especially important. That would be the big strategy in my opinion. Okay. But yeah, and that, and, and for people listening again, that's a plus plus gene, meaning you got a bad version from your mother and a bad version from your father. It, usually if it's a plus minus, it's a lot harder to predict because you know, the plus minus is meaning you got a good copy from one parent and a bad copy of the gene from the other parent. Sometimes your body kind of, you know, over it compensates one way or the other. It just uses the good copy of the gene and it shuts off the bad copy. Your, your, your DNA can actually get shut off, turned on and turned off. Sure. But then that's not always true. So like the plus minus <laughs> genes are harder to predict. Um, but, and, and one example of that is BDNF. So you have a gene, a plus minus BDNF gene, that's brain derived neurotrophic factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one, you know, it potentially means you have less BDNF, but it's a plus minus, right? Okay. So it, it does increase your risk for Alzheimer's a little bit, but at the end of the day, as long as you're exercising, usually you're fine because, and, and but an important caveat is endurance exercise, particularly okay. increases BDNF, whereas heavy lifting doesn't. Interesting. Because um, I do not do a lot of endurance training. <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> well, and you, know, you have a plus minus, so it's probably not that important. Okay. And there's a ton of supplements that increase BDNF as well. And I think just eating healthy and just doing all this sort of thing increases BDNF. So, but that's an important thing because, you know, quite a few people have less BDNF and it's associated with lifespan and all this, like it declines as you age. And, you know, it's probably one of the more important, uh, uh, components for increasing lifespan. Okay. You know, there's, there's a million things, right? Like the thyroid hormones, they go down as you age, Sure. you know, like your deep sleep goes down as you age, um, test like sex hormones go down as you age. There's so many things, but BDNF is one of those things. And it's kind of chicken egg. And like, maybe it's just because people aren't exercising as they age, you know, whatever, but but by, by the way, curcumin also increases BDNF, just the supplement. I saw that in the report. Yeah. yeah. But the thing about you is you've got some of these, these leaky gut genes that we'll talk about later. Yes. I would love to get into that. Oftentimes. And you have a lot of those. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, Compared to most people, but oftentimes curcumin actually is pretty tough on the gut, Mm -hmm. which is ironic because some people it's really beneficial for their gut because it's anti-inflammatory. So if you have gut issues that are related to inflammation, that's flipped off by curcumin, then it's a great thing. But if you've got a sensitive gut and it's not, related to that form of those types of inflammation, then curcumin can actually be tough on the intestines. What was interesting too, is uh, that you use this example of like inflammation in joints. When I did a, um, I did a Genova diagnostics, uh, I did a Nutraval and a GI map and found that like, if you take my blood markers like homocysteine or C-reactive protein, it's literally like untraceable. Like I'm below reference range. And then I did the GI map and it was like, you have inflammation in your gut. I'm like, whoa, that's weird. So I have like this localized inflammation in the gut that's not making its way into my bloodstream, I guess, which seems strange. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of times you find like with celiac and things, mm-hmm. like people are malnourished basically because their gut in response to some of that information it actually just shrivels up. <laughs> like wow. And and so you know, sometimes it's not actually leaky, it's actually just tighter than it should be because, you know, you're not getting anything as a response because you don't want to be pumping bad bacteria into your bloodstream, you know. Yeah. It's like a built-in defense mechanism. Like if you want, we can jump down there actually, because I mean, the rest of these brain genes are pretty good. You have a couple anxiety genes relating to serotonin, but a lot of people have those and they're not, they're usually okay unless, uh, unless you're eating unhealthy and things like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can certainly like take some of the supplements I recommend there if you have anxiety. I think that's really cool. You have a, uh, people can see this in the show notes, but a, a melancholy and an anxiety section. Yeah. And in your case, yeah. Relating to serotonin production or serotonin uptake in your brain, you have a little bit of both, mm-hmm. you know, so you make a little bit less serotonin and you, you don't bring it up into your brain as much. Okay. Um, and so anything to increase serotonin just before we jump down to the leaky gut section, I mean, 5-HTP is known to increase serotonin, but I like to take that with tryptophan because tryptophan is a build, it's one of the amino acids and it's a building block for serotonin. So you want to give your body the building blocks mm-hmm. and then trigger the, trigger the manufacturing of serotonin. That's super helpful. Some people respond differently. Like some people need to try GABA or St. John's word or something else. Like, like those ones, serotonin is a tricky one, right? I mean, that's where all these SSRI drugs, these depression drugs and anti-anxiety drugs, they target serotonin and it's a complicated system. Yeah. Um, that's why I give you a few options here because you know, it's, it can be a tricky system that different people respond differently to those supplements. That's the epigenetic component you were talking about before. Sure. Sure. I had a question here too, real quick, just in this section, the, um, caffeine metabolism, right? So right. if we look at this one that I have, caffeine is eliminated by your body more quickly than average. And I see that that's a plus plus. So is this an example of like plus plus doesn't necessarily mean bad. It's just you're testing for one specific thing. Exactly. It's just one of these plus plus is totally arbitrary. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. So in this case, it actually means your liver enzyme is functionally functioning at a high level to break down caffeine. CYP1A2 is the liver enzyme in this case that breaks down caffeine. So yeah, exactly. It's just it just makes sure that I flag that gene for people because some people have, like I was doing a consult with a professional pitcher in baseball, major league baseball. Mm -hmm. And he had, he had three anxiety genes all related to caffeine. And a lot of people do like, there's a lot of people. So to just globally say that caffeine is good for everybody can be a problem if people have a lot of anxiety. Absolutely. Because that's just, you know, that can cause inflammation, right? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on with anxiety if you got that problem. Right. And and he knew it. Like, he knew that whenever he has caffeine, he gets major anxiety, and he is just religious about avoiding it. Mm-hmm. But some people don't realize that's the trigger in their case. And, and there's always – that's a really interesting thing to, to kind of – compare and contrast like how does your body deal with caffeine in terms of liver like do you do you break it down really quick does it stay in your body a long time because the worst combo is when you've got anxiety genes from for caffeine plus it stays in your body a long time right right for those people it literally you you can drink one cup of coffee and two days later you'll still get anxiety yeah at a higher higher level or i mean i've, t- I've talked to clients who they're like no you don't understand like i have a cup of coffee at 8 a.m and i will not sleep that evening there's no chance 
Exactly. That's the anxiety, usually not the caffeine. Yeah. Because if you test their blood, the caffeine's not there. So it's clearly something else. Right. Right. Which is crazy. Yeah. Most doctors will kind of laugh at people like that and say like, oh, you're full of shit. Like it's not actually there. It's just mental. Well, in some sense it is mental because you got all this anxiety you've just triggered and that lasts days sometimes. So that lasts longer than the, the, like the people talk about the half-life of caffeine or whatever. It's like, it's going to last a lot longer. The physical caffeine. Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. And then it's, 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 it's crazy how individualized it is because the problem that I see is, you know, if you're in this world of health and wellness and you're trying to self-experiment, do all these things, it's like, if you only listen to Dave Asprey's podcast, you will be like, coffee is good for everyone. Right. Everyone (laughs) must drink coffee, you know? So, and then you'll do it and these little things might creep up and you don't necessarily realize that it's the coffee or caffeine doing it because you've been told all this time that that coffee is wonderful for you. And people live longer when they drink six cups a day, you know? Right. Right. A hundred percent. And I mean, the same is, it's, it's, it's across the board, man. Like the same is true for diets more so than anything, because yeah, there's people that are just religious about like my diet works better than everybody else's diet. Exactly. And it's like, it probably does for you. Right. But it probably doesn't for 90% of everybody else. But then what they oftentimes will do is they'll, they'll promote that diet being like the ultimate for everybody. And then people will try it. It sucks for them. So they stop doing it, but then people, other people will try it. A few other people find it successful. So they join the club and then they kind of feed off each other and create that confirmation bias. Dude. And just how like egotistical (laughs) is that? Like if your body is not like mine, you're doing it wrong. Well, they don't even realize most of the time they think it's, it's, they don't understand the, the genetic variability and the epigenetic because sometimes people do have the same genes, but that's exactly when the epigenetics can kick in is like, especially with these sex hormones. Right. I mean, that's why I wrote a book on estrogen because the estrogen in particular, it, we, we probably talked about this last podcast, but estrogen crosses into the cell. It goes through the cell membrane, which most hormones don't. Most hormones stay on the outside of the cell and they trigger a response on a receptor. And that receptor, you know, like relays the information like on a relay race that pass the baton. But estrogen goes right through your cell membrane. It goes into the cell. But not only that, your, your DNA is protected by a membrane as well, right? You have a nuclear membrane, it's called. It's even more stringent. Like it protects your DNA from getting damaged. Estrogen goes through the DNA membrane as well. It goes directly into your DNA. So it can flip all these genetic switches. Wow. And it can get passed on to future generations. Those switches can get flipped and changed and passed on. Yeah, we talked about that in the last podcast. That's crazy, man. Scary. Exactly. So so sometimes what your parents did in their diets actually impacts you in terms of what's better or worse in your case. And that's that's going to be a big one 10 years from now. People will understand that hopefully <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah but, well yeah. so let's dig into these uh the the leaky gut genes so this is now section yeah. two of your report which is diet optimization genes and yeah now there there are a whole bunch of of things listed here <laughs> yeah i mean intermittent fasting of a bunch of genes where that's more optimal um okay but that's really true if, if there's if there's one one thing that pretty much is optimal for everybody in terms of your genetics is intermittent fasting almost everybody has genes that where intermittent fasting is beneficial. Now, of course, if you're a professional athlete or if you're trying to put on weight or muscle mass or whatever, and you're 20 years old, yeah, go ahead and eat breakfast. You can't keep up with the amount of calories, you know, that sort of thing. There is an argument to be made 
but you probably are going to suffer a shorter lifespan if you keep carrying that out. I mean, almost for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I tell people that all the time that like next level, like the highest levels of athletic performance almost always come at the expense of longevity. Exactly. Well, for sure. I think they, they do, but it's hard to prove that, you know, they probably always do, but it's impossible to really make that like to prove that in a bulletproof way. Right. Right. But you know, some people are willing to make that, that, that exchange and say, okay, I'm decreasing my lifespan potentially, but I want to be a professional athlete. So this is what I'm going to do. And then maybe at age 50, they should flip that. They should turn that around and start focusing on longevity. And they're probably fine if you do it that way. Exactly. Um, right. Right. But you know, that's what you're seeing when you look at these, a lot of those genes that you've got, you know, intermittent fast, intermittent fast is important. Here's a bunch of genes, but yeah, the leaky gut, I mean, that's where you really light up. Thankfully you don't have too much heart disease risk too, by the way, just as a side. I mean, there's literally like, you know, potentially probably at least a hundred genes involved in heart disease risk. And there are all these different categories. So that's another one I want to bring up before we go to leaky gut, actually, just like the brain where people, they write these books or the, you know, and they just, they just kind of, uh, you know, globalize everything and say, look, here's the way to fix Alzheimer's, right? Mm -hmm. Just do ketosis or whatever. And it's like, well, maybe, but what if you've got high heavy metals, you know, like what if, whatever, there's all these different categories that they're, they're kind of ignoring or they're just not aware of or whatever. And heart disease is similar where you get books, just focus on lectins, right? Right. And yeah, for like 10% of people, man, that's a phenomenal way to protect your arteries because there are genes that are sensitive to inflammation from lectins. Okay. They're even called like mannose binding lectin and things like that, like ML, MBL and things like MBL2 and things like that. Mm-hmm. And again, you don't have any of these, but I want to bring it up because a lot of people have these, right? And so that's a phenomenal way to protect your arteries if you've got those genes. But then other people, it's related to hyaluronic acid or flavonoids or Mm-hmm. you know, high iron, like there's a gene called superoxide dismutase number two, SOD two. If you've got that gene, it gives you a 10 fold higher risk for heart disease, basically plaques in your arteries. If you've got high iron. Wow. And if you don't have high iron, there's really no risk. That's so interesting. These people that are just pounding the liver, right? Because, yeah. because they're told that's a healthy thing to do, but they have that gene. And again, you don't, by the way, just so you know, but perfect, but like a tenfold higher risk for heart disease is crazy because literally like a third of people are getting heart attacks, you know, like in America, it's insane. And so if you want to add tenfold on top of that, I mean, it's outrageous how high your risk is. Yeah. And in those people, like I would go to Joseph Mercola because I think he, ha- he has that gene. He talks about it. Okay. And, and he's written like three or four articles on optimal levels of iron because the medical reference ranges are pretty crappy. Yeah. Yeah. You directed me to Mercola after the last podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. I do pretty regular. Like there's, he's got great info on iron specifically because again, he's done more research than I have. So it's not like I'm a, cause there's different ways. There's transferritin or there's ferritin, there's transferritin. There's all these different ways to measure iron. Mm-hmm. And Again, thankfully, you don't have that gene. I wanted to bring it up as an example because a lot of people do. And, yeah, you know, there's, like I say, there's books on this stuff, but the books, they exclusively focus just on the one gene, or, right. you know, or, or maybe not one gene, but one category of like where heart disease is coming from and everybody should go on this diet that's lectin-free or whatever. 
Well, like you said, my, my way is the best way. It, it tends to look yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's a really strong example. Now, thankfully the main risk you've got is from triglycerides. If you're high, if your triglycerides are high, you do have a heart disease risk, but I doubt they're high to be no, honest. They're Just, quite low. Yeah. They're probably 70. If I had to guess, I don't, I didn't actually look at your blood work to be honest, but no problem. I mean, if you have it, if you, if you have it available, you could probably just throw the number out there. I do. Yeah, check anyway. that right now. Let's see. <laughs> Maybe they're 50. Well, 83. So not in the 83? 70s. Oh, yeah. that's close. Well, I mean, as long as it's below 125, there's literally people that are like 500s, you know, in these medical trials where they're like testing drugs to lower triglycerides, which is hilarious because it's so easy to lower triglycerides. If you're at the 500s, that's absurd. It just tells me you're just sitting around eating Cheetos all day on your couch. I mean, basically exercise is one of the most important ways to lower triglycerides because mm -hmm. you're flushing your blood through your liver and allowing your liver to clear them out. So if you're just totally not moving your body at all, <laughs> you know, then, then your triglycerides are sky high. And it's like, well, don't take a drug. Like maybe, maybe in the interim you need to take a drug because it's super dangerous to be that high, but Let's be honest, like you just need to stop eating garbage and get moving. That's just that you're doing everything wrong at that point. Yeah. So for you, I'm not worried at all about that. Um, well, I wanted to check with you on this too, because this has been like my obsession lately has been this lean mass hyper responder thing. I mentioned it to yeah. you briefly in the in the last podcast. Um, so I would be what's called just a textbook lean mass hyper responder. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, your 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 actual LDL was what like three four hundred oh it's off the charts man let me see um, i just lost when did that just go i forgot about that i should have looked into that more carefully i mean interestingly you don't really have the genes for that so that's more of an epigenetic thing okay well what i'm blown away by right now is like all of my dad's uncles died of heart attacks like his brothers have had widowmaker heart attacks and all this stuff so my dad and i have been really concerned about this like i want to get a calcium score done and just see see what that is um, but this this lean mass hyperresponder thing, uh, again, these these individuals like variants between individuals. I was talking to Rob Wolf about this the other day um, because he shared an article with me uh, about LDL appearing the, the higher LDL levels appearing to be positively associated with lifespan. It's protective. Yes, and protective. Right. It is. It is. I'm a huge, I'm a huge proponent of that. I mean, people are literally so dogmatic in science. I mean. I did my PhD on cholesterol, right? On hormones and cholesterol, like LDL is one of my specialties. And it's so hilarious to read these scientific studies where you you decrease your LDL, so they just automatically assume that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then they say like, it's a great supplement or it's a great thing to do because it decreased LDL. And it's like, yeah, but <laughs> there's no, like the evidence for that is really, it's not even true. It's not, it's not true at all. Like. It's ridiculous. Well, the other thing is, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this whole lean mass hyperresponder thing, it's like, could LDL be a problem? Well, maybe if you're insulin resistant or like your LP little A is off the charts or all these or systemic inflammation, like that's the thing. If I'm looking at C-reactive protein is like untraceable, homocysteine is basically untraceable, low triglycerides, low body fat percentage. Right. Yeah. Well, for you, Looking at your genes, I'm not really that worried about the LDL. What I am worried about is your leaky gut. So that's where you would get the inflammation, right? Like for you, your family members probably had a lot of inflammation from all these leaky gut. They probably have a lot of these similar leaky gut genes. Sure. And then once your gut's leaking or inflamed and all of this, 
then those inflammatory chemicals are going, you know, into your arteries. Now, again, for you, you're testing those chemicals, you're finding they're blank, you're eating healthy, mm -hmm. you know, but obviously a lot of your extended family probably isn't because that's true. Pretty much everybody's extended family. And, and that's where the heart disease risk is connected. What was scary here is like, I'll give you an example. My dad's older brother had a widowmaker heart attack. The only reason he survived was because he had the widowmaker inside an ambulance. Wow. Yeah. Like it happened in the ambulance because right. he was having these chest pains, but this is literally someone who was running like six miles a day, starting every day with breakfast was like oatmeal with sliced bananas on it. Like he was basically doing textbook American heart association diet, right. Right. you know? Right. Yeah, man. I mean, and I just posted on Instagram a few days ago or a week ago or something, the study 2019, it's called total cholesterol and all cause mortality by sex and age perspective cohort study among 12 million adults. Yeah. And they showed, you probably saw this, but basically once you started to get below 200 on your total cholesterol, there's actually a lot higher hazard ratio. It just goes way up. It's, it's a, it's what's called a bell curve or it's like a U shape. The U shape. Right. But what's funny is like the U is a lot higher. Like it's a lot riskier to have low cholesterol than it is to have high cholesterol in terms of like all these disease risks. Yeah. Um, at least in terms of all cause mortality, it's like kind of a, a lopsided U because the low cholesterol was far worse than the high cholesterol and it and it took really high cholesterol to even creep up the, the curve a little bit but there is an optimal range for sure and people should look at that that instagram picture well see i'm glad you've gone here because because i wanted to pick your brain about i remember your instagram post and was like i need to talk to him about this i'm so glad you brought that up this u-shaped curve is really what's tripping me out and this is what i was talking to rob about as well is I, I want to say this out loud and share this to give people an example because people come to me and they're like, my cholesterol is 220 and my doctor wants to put me on a oh, statin. Yeah, yeah, they do too. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. That's crazy. It's nuts. If you get above 350 total cholesterol, then I do get a little bit worried in general, just so you know. Okay. And so that's what I want to share with you here because the people, Clovis people who are listening, if you're at 200 cholesterol and your doctor wants to put you on a statin. So it's absurd. It's absurd. Yeah. My total cholesterol is 545. Yeah. And my LDLP, which is my LDL particle number is it, it's literally out of reference range. It just says greater than 3,500. Right. So, right. I mean, it's just staggeringly high. Yeah. I, I mean, I would definitely do the calcium CT. <laughs> Right. Okay. And you're doing all the right stuff in terms of checking inflammation. Like you can have outrageously high cholesterol and have no issues if your inflammation is just like spot crystal clean. Right. right? But there, the problem is there's a lot of forms of inflammation. Like one of them is called CDK. Right. And you've got one of these leaky gut genes, CDKAL1. Okay. Um, and CDK, it's like I always use the analogy of hot water. Like if you got your hot water turned on too high, you know, you got too much inflammation, you got to turn that hot water down. Mm -hmm. And the CDK genes that people have, there's a lot of them, they help to turn that hot water down, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, but the problem is you've got one of these genes where you don't turn the hot water down as much as you should, but there's actually flavonoids in plants that will basically do it for you, right? They shut off that form of inflammation. Okay. And so flavonoids are really important. But there's other forms of inflammation like interferons, you know, there's interleukins, there's a whole bunch of interleukins, right? Um, like nobody's checking interleukin 23, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, right. Like you'll never get a blood test and the doctor will be like, well, let's check your interleukin 23, right? Because there's so many other ones and they're all different forms of inflammation. 
So it, it can be a bit of a crapshoot. Okay. And, and so I agree with you to check, you know, the calcium CT scan. Okay. I've seen people totally reverse that and go down to zero with a really high scan if they do the right thing. Usually when we look at their DNA, mm. figure that out. But I, I do get nervous. I'm not kidding. Like, I, I, I don't want to like, you know, like uh, water it down. I do get nervous when it gets above 350. Yeah, I, I want to know this, you know, for sure. Yeah, and and saturated fat definitely increases LDL, like cholesterol. There's no question. Um, so that is the thing here, man, is, is this, this blood work just, you know, full transparency, this blood work was done by Paul Saladino and this was after a six week strict carnivore experiment. Yeah. I didn't even do black coffee. I mean, and it, it was, it was virtually a 100% red meat, liver and egg diet. Yeah. Interesting. And I've never seen my numbers this high. Yeah. I drop it. I mean, I would, I, I want to see people below 350 and I don't want them using statins to do it. And I don't, you don't, you don't need to generally like, to be honest, the vegan diet is phenomenal at lowering LDL. Usually it lowers it way too much. And then people think they're phenomenal. I was just actually one of the special operators in the military I was talking to, we were looking at his blood work and, uh, cause I spent the whole day there, you know, on this secretive air force, <laughs> base or <laughs> yeah. this, this military base and, and, uh, and I actually had to sign paperwork saying like, you know, I'm not going to publicize it on social media and all this kind of stuff. Oh, wow. And, but anyways, um, his cholesterol was just way, 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 way too low, you know, for performance. And, mm -hmm. and of course his doctors were basically giving him high fives for it. And I'm like, man, dude, this is, this is not optimal at all. And you could tell, like he, he could feel it. Like his sex hormones were starting to go down. It was so low. Yeah. Things like that. And, and, it, you know, I would, I want to see you at 200, you know, I want to see you at 220, 250, to be honest. Okay. And I don't want to see you to getting too low, you know, below that. Right. But I don't want to see above 350 either. Right. Right. Um, because then it's, it's touch and go whether, like I say, there's so many forms of inflammation. It's really a complicated topic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like for example, there's, there's some genes called HLA, HLA DQA1 or HLA DRB nine and all these HLA genes and they are another form of inflammation, but it's triggered by high insulin, which I'm not worried about in your case. Right. I mean, what's your blood, your blood sugar is like 80, if I had to guess, I didn't look, let me check here. I got it all 85. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably 85 glucose, uh, 91, 91. Okay. And that was fasted mm -hmm. or after coffee, probably you probably had coffee. Uh, no, that was fasted. No call. I, I did this hundred percent fasted water fast. No coffee. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you might want to bring that down a little bit. If I was you, I'd take zinc. I don't know if you're supplementing zinc at all. No, I'm not. But you did have a zinc transporter gene issue. Like scroll up a little bit on the, the, uh, the DNA report. And on page four, you'll see right in the middle, there's type two diabetes risk for zinc. Yes. SLC. Um, and I noticed you put priority there. Yeah. Supplementing zinc is a priority for you because basically, I mean, you can get enough from red meat, but you got to eat a shit ton of red meat. Okay it's probably better just to take a zinc supplement and not worry about, Oh, did I get 200 grams of red meat or whatever? Right. Um, because it's good for your hormones. Also your testosterone and things. Great. Um, that'll actually help with your blood sugar. Okay. Nitric oxide will too, by the way, just looking at the gene above that. But I think zinc, you know, you're right on the border. I think you're good there. It's not, it's not concerning. It's, you know, it's easy to drop a couple points. See, and this goes back to, I heard this too in, in Dave Feldman's uh, Lean Mass Hyper Responder group, where people seem to have the same exact thing that I do, where this, um, 
particularly people that are in any in any way, shape, or form gearing towards the carnivore thing, their fasted blood glucose seems to be a little bit elevated. It is. Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing this on carnivore, for sure, because your body's what you're doing. And I just wanted to check your metformin gene, mm-hmm. um, which I can bring up in a second. But what you're doing with carnivore is you're basically teaching your body to convert protein to sugar. Right. Because that's what's going to happen, right? You're not going to convert protein to fat because you can't. Yeah. So, I mean, these high protein, these really high protein diets you basically upregulate your body's enzymes to convert the, the, the amino acids into carbs. Gotcha. And so it does bump up your carbs, right? I mean, that's just the way your body works. But it's not, I mean, 91 is definitely good. Like, I'll bet if you checked it tomorrow, you'd be 89. You know, you check the next day, you'd be, you know, 87. You know, like it kind of bounces around. It's one of those things. Um, but I'd probably drop it a little bit. Like I say, take some zinc, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's great. And I love that we're piecing some of the, putting some of these dots together, connecting them because this lean mass hyperresponder thing. Um, so again, I've been just obsessed with this. I'm like, is this like, am I protecting myself? What's going to happen with this cholesterol stuff? And obviously with my family history, I'm, I'm really concerned. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing that Rob said was, you know, it's Rob Wolf. So he has all these wonderful connections with really smart people. And he was like, I was talking to some people who really know their shit. Mm-hmm. And they are suggesting that lean mass hyperresponder could be low level hypothyroidism. Hmm. So I went and looked at my blood work and sure enough, my T3 is low. Yeah, you have a bunch of genes. And he's like, that's exactly what would be low in this scenario. Yeah, yeah, and that's genetic. I mean, like I know we keep looking at the leaky gut, like we're gonna talk about it and then we bounce away from it, but let's do that. Let's bounce away from it for a second and go all the way down to your thyroid section, which is on page (laughs) eight, page eight. eight. Got it. I mean, you've got, a lot of people are blank in this category. They've got nothing going on here. You've got one, two, three, four, five gene issues in the thyroid section, right? One of them is reduced conversion of T4 to T3, by the way. So you're not, you know, you're probably not converting a lot of T4 into T3. Makes sense. But definitely take iodine. I mean, that's the fu- the fundamental point with all of these is, um, if you're not like iodine is a building block for the thyroid hormones. If you're not getting enough iodine, then you can't make enough thyroid hormones and you're definitely going to be at a problem Okay. in the problem situation because with all of these genes, right? I mean, <laughs> you're, you're genetically just set up. That's really interesting. You should try that experiment. Yeah. Um, try getting your thyroid hormones up. If you have to take, you know, armor thyroid or T straight up T3 or something, but you got to work with a doctor on that. Cause you don't want to go too. if you go too high, you get your heart all screwed up, you know? Okay. Sometimes permanently you go into AFib permanently. Wow. So you gotta be, you don't want to be like, Oh, let's just take two grams of <laughs> this thyroid med or whatever. Like just right. take loads. Of stuff. You want to ease into that really carefully. Even if the doctors say like, here's how much you should take. Like I would start with like a fourth of that and kind of ease into it. Okay. Okay. Potentially, but again, definitely work with somebody who's good on that. Yeah. I only tend to work with doctors like you or Paul yeah, or true, like just true. guys that I 100% trust. Yeah. True. That's, that's huge. That's valuable. Um, the other thing is intermittent fasting really helps with your thyroid. In your case, you've got these genes called Fox E1. I call it like, usually just call it Foxy one, like Foxy lady. Yeah. Um, and F O X E1 Foxy one is, um, they discovered it in Chernobyl, like the radiation yeah, yeah. Uh, accident because people that had thyroid issues or they had radiation exposure and they damaged the thyroid, the people that healed up fine had the good version of this gene. And the people that really struggled to heal 
they had the bad version of this gene, like you've kind of got here. Mm -hmm. And it's related to autophagy in your thyroid gland. So basically you're not taking your cells in your thyroid, aren't taking out the trash as well as they should. Interesting. They're not clearing the garbage and the best way to increase autophagy, the best way to teach those, get those cells taken out the trash is intermittent fast. Okay. Right. Like just noon to six or something like that. Sure. Sure. Um, like only eat, eating between noon and six. And of course, like I say, you throw iodine in the mix and you'll probably bump your T3 up okay. sufficiently to be good. And then it'll be interesting to see how your LDL responds to that. Yeah. Yeah. That could be really cool. And if you have to, like I say, I'm, I'm not opposed at all to just pulling the, pulling out the vegan diet for a month, you know, just to really shoot your cholesterol down. <laughs> right. Right. Like it's a tool in a toolkit, you know, and I'm, I'm not a fan at all of using it long-term yeah, of course. for virtually anybody, but a short-term strategy to lower LDL, it's pretty phenomenal. Well, I guess the question that I have there, so if we look at all these leaky gut genes that I have. Exactly. Let's go back to that. That's exactly what I was looking at. I was thinking about that because the big one, the big one you've got, that's going to be an issue for uh, vegan is that ATG16L1. You've got two plus pluses on that gene. Mm-hmm. And man, people that have that gene, they do terrible with grains. Exactly. That's the thing. So if I was going to try something like that, my understanding of virtually all leaky gut is caused by plant foods. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Exactly. <laughs> so that's tricky, right? <laughs> exactly. Especially with that gene. Right. But um, I think if you avoid the grains, if you do vegan, vegetarian, whatever, even like I say, just for a little bit, don't do it forever, but it'll just to shoot your cholesterol down. Mm-hmm. Definitely avoid the grains, avoid all forms of grains. Just don't even mess with them. That gene is actually related to autophagy as well, by the way, it's called autophagy related 16 L1. That's the actual name of the gene, I believe. Okay. And, uh, but despite the name, I think if you were intermittent fasting and eating tons of grains is still not optimal. In my experience, like people with that gene, they just really suffer with the grains. It's not even worth messing with. Right. I mean, that's, that's a big one. Another one that's, that IBD5, do you see that one? Yep. And let me just pull up my notes on that. Mushrooms. Yeah, mushrooms come up a few times. Um, Bro, I take mushrooms all the time. You don't even <laughs> have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, they help your gut for sure. And not a lot of people talk about it. Well, you know, that IBD5, it's called inflammatory bowel disease number five. Like it's actually named inflammatory bowel. Okay. Because it's it's so linked to that. It's either through a form of inflammation, like scientists debate like crazy exactly how this gene causes gut inflammation. Okay. So just so you know, it's not like clear cut one way or the other on this one, but it's either from something called ergothionine transport. And I'll talk about that in a second, ergothionine, or it's from interferons, like having too much of this form of inflammation called interferons. Okay. And that's why I link an article there about how to decrease interferons from selfhacked.com. I'm a huge fan of that website. I'm a scientific advisor for them, for that website. Cool, cool. I met that dude. Uh, Joe Cohen. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting guy. I like him. Um, but, of course, he's <laughs> the website has a lot of pro-soy stuff on there, which yes. I'm not a, not a fan of, just so people know. But I don't, yeah. I, you know, I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater type thing. It's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty big fans of soy. I'm not, I think. You can debate on that, but they have so much good stuff. I want to take the good stuff they do have and utilize sure, it. Of course. They actually put the references for the scientific studies that they use, by the way, which is most websites don't. So I, I really like that. But ergothionine is a vitamin that nobody talks about. Probably never even heard the word. I've never heard of it. 
And I mean, you're interviewing all these top scientists and all this, right? Like you're, you're in the, yeah. in the minority in terms of your exposures to these things. And uh, a lot of people have ergothionine issues. They, you know, like plants have a little bit of ergothionine, but mushrooms, they've got like a thousand times more. They just have like off the charts of ergothionine. Okay. And, and the reason nobody talks about ergothionine, again, it's a vitamin, right? So your body can't make it, but you need it. Yeah. How crazy yeah. is that? You've never, like nobody ever heard, here's of it. Even scientists and doctors, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I've never heard of it. Ask your doctor. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I've never heard of ergothionine. Um, and you know, the reason not a lot of people talk about it is because your gut bacteria make it for you in many cases. Hmm. But if you've got issues transporting it into your gut, right, which you have probably with this gene, then, you know, you're not getting the benefits of ergothionine because you're not bringing it up into your gut. So you want to amplify the amount that you're putting into your system just to make sure you get enough. And again, mushrooms are the way to go. So you're, you're fixing that problem. I'm not too worried about it. Great. And, you know, to be honest, most of the other ones relate to just poor diet and stuff, which obviously you don't have most. Right. I mean, they do these studies on average Americans, right. And who are eating fast food, they're eating processed foods, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So most of them, I'm not really worried about other than the, the kind of, obviously the little blurbs that I have on your report. And then just the stuff we talked about, like the, the grains are big and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, exercise, you know, just the basics, right? Yeah. Another question I had is, um, uh, on the, the gym genes that you, that you get. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump down there. So I had done DNA fit, yep. um, and ran my data through there. And I don't know how, how accurate that is or whatever, but they had this, this one section that was like basically two different risk factors. And one, it was all about soft tissue. So it's basically mm -hmm. saying that in terms of soft tissue risk of injury, mm -hmm. I'm a 10 out of 10 risk. Ah, no way. <laughs> and it also said that for recovery, like recovering from intense exercise, my recovery need is a 10 out of 10. Interesting. That's funny. Yeah, definitely not because most of the genes you have for risk are plus minus. Okay. Right. So that's the first thing, right? Like you could have a plus plus on all of these genes that you do have problems with like ILB1, IL1B, that's another interleukin gene or HLA, mm -hmm. that HLA gene, like we mentioned before, even your collagen gene under the back disc category. Yep. Plus minus, right? These are all plus minus. So if you're 10 out of 10 with plus minuses, well, what are you in your plus plus, right? 10 out of 15, because yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you can't be at the max if you're only plus minus. <laughs> that's true. You know yeah. I mean? Like logically. So first that just, that's like an obvious problem there. Yeah. Um, so the plus minuses really are harder to predict. Now the back disc genes that you do have, the collagen 11A and the uh, interleukin one, those ones are pretty predictive. Most people that have those, almost everybody I talk to, they have low back issues mm -hmm. at some point in their life. You probably have as well. Yep. Yep. I have a nagging one that never goes away. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I have that same issue. Actually, I have those genes and it's tough, man. I, I, I learned how to deadlift actually. And that fixed mo almost all the problems I have. I used to throw my back out every year, almost like religiously, like once a year. Yeah. Since I was about 12 years old, which is really, wow. really bad. But again, I'm plus plus, you know, like I, I'm, I'm apparently a 15 out of 10. If you're a 10 out of 10, because <laughs> yeah. I'm actually worse. Um, and I didn't eat healthy as a kid. My family would do cereal every day and all this Me too. Yeah. And and so that's a big factor because I wasn't getting collagen. And I think supplementing collagen is a huge one. But it's been literally 10 years since I've thrown my back out. 
um, once I learned how to deadlift and eat healthy, of course, between those two things. But um, this year, I finally threw my back out again. Mm -hmm. I was just stressed out doing these talks for the military and just traveling and hiking. And, and every time I go and do a talk, I always go fishing or do something crazy like hiking in the mountains and fishing up in the mountains. And That's awesome. So I managed to throw my back and, and to be honest, what really fixed it this time, it took a long time and it wasn't getting fixed. And I, I just got on some testosterone and bumped that way up because testosterone is a way to increase healing, right? Sure. And, and it massively improves your healing ability. So I figured, well, I'll go off the charts a little bit, like bump my T up pretty high. And then mm -hmm. I got off it right away after a couple of weeks, but it worked, man. I mean, my back is rock solid again. I was right. Like took me about two weeks and I was right back in the gym, which I, which I'm really pleased about. Great. Great. But for you, for sure, collagen. And then, like I say, that interleukin gene is all about inflammation. Mm -hmm. And, and usually again, the doctors aren't checking interleukin. It's one that comes up a lot in your genes throughout, right? You saw it in the gut category, you're seeing the joints, you see in the back, you see it all over the place. And you know, we can check it like in the research world, we check interleukins, you know? Okay. So it can be done like probably even through quest. If you talk to your doctor about checking interleukin, it might be worth it. Okay. That would be like the root cause of a lot of issues. If you can figure out ways to lower that. And there are a lot of ways. And that's why I linked that self-hacked article on interleukin one right there. Sure. But the joints, you know, to be honest, they're not that bad. You know, I've seen a lot worse. Um, as long as you're not shooting your blood sugar way up, you know, if you were like 120 on your blood sugar, I'd be panicking. You know? <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. Not really, absolutely. But I would definitely put you on keto for a bit. Right things like that. And to be honest, you don't have any in the iodine section. Like some people have a lot of joint issues because their thyroid hormones are off. Yeah. That's and how, like, how often would you go to an orthopedic surgeon? Like you need a knee replacement and they're going to say, well, let's check your thyroid hormones first. Right? They'll <laughs> right, never yeah. do that. Never. And another really interesting one that's, you'll never hear your, your orthopedic surgeon. My, my brother is an orthopedic surgeon, by the way. So I can make fun of these guys a little bit. <laughs> nice. And at the Mayo Clinic, I worked in the orthopedic with all these orthopedic surgeons because when I when I'm researching stem cells, I have to work with these guys. Mm -hmm. um, but it's hilarious because you've got a gene called HTR2A, right? In that in that joint category, and mm -hmm. basically, it's a risk for all kinds of joint issues, and it's related to serotonin, mm. um, which is something again you'll never hear your your orthopedic surgeon pay any attention to. Like, oh, you maybe need to increase your serotonin right because you've got some joint stuff but instead they'll just go right into the replacements and which is a vicious cycle you'll never get off right yeah so actually using those serotonin boosting supplements will probably well they have some benefits for your joints as well they may not totally fix them because that's not the only thing you've got but they probably might you know you never know because you do have a lot of other things dialed in right yeah yeah well, and that's the thing too. I, I always recommend to people if they haven't just doing getting quest or working with a doctor or whatever, because I've done like the cholesterol thing. I've done these blood draws, extensive blood work, like once a quarter for years now. Yeah. So it's like, I know immediately that this was after a six week carnivore experiment. I know that I've done before where I'll still stay keto, but do more like wild caught fish and some pasture raised chicken and some avocados and the LDL just drops, total cholesterol drops. Mm. It's like, you can drop this stuff so quickly, right. you know, hundred percent. Yeah, like I say, if you really want to pull the stops, you go vegan. I mean, the guys that are vegan are just in the tank on their LDL and their testosterone is in the tank and all this kind of stuff. And their energy is in the tank and they're bragging about it because the doctors say they're good, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it does. It is an effective strategy for like in the very short term. Short term. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm, and that's an unpopular thing to say, but it's also unpopular to say carnivore diet is phenomenal in certain cases. And I'm happy to say it. like, there's, there's certain genes that were, there's these things called plant sterols, right? They're cytosterols, S-I-S-I-T-O, cytosterols. And there's quite a few, I was just talking to somebody last week who had trouble, they have genes where they have trouble clearing those plant cholesterol. So humans have cholesterol, LDL, HDL, all that, right? That's the human form of cholesterol. Plants actually also have cholesterol. Cytosterols is different. Yeah. Most people don't realize like we have different types of cholesterol, animals versus plants. Absolutely. And most people, they have, they eat plants, their body clears out those plant cholesterols, no big deal. But there are about 5% of people out there where they can't clear those plant cholesterols. They do a terrible job of it Mm -hmm. and they build up in your body. And if cholesterol becomes oxidized, like the problem with getting really high cholesterol is the cholesterol itself is inflammatory. Like the problem with being at 500, the cholesterol is sitting in your blood so long, it reacts with oxygen. Mm -hmm. And that oxidized cholesterol is actually inflammatory in and of itself. Okay. Right. So irrespective of CRP and all these inflammatory markers, the cholesterol itself can be inflammatory. And the problem with getting the plant cholesterol super high is those ones get oxidized and they get inflammatory. And the doctor, the bigger problem is doctors never check your cytosterols, right? Right. Right. Now for you, thankfully you don't have those genes, but I'm bringing it up because enough people do that. It's important. And I actually tested, I, I do have those in, listed in this blood work as well, which is nice. Oh, right. You have cytosterols. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, um, uh, cytosterol and campesterol. Oh, rock on, man. You got a good doctor and those are probably good. Right. Yes, they are. They are both normal. It might even be a super low. Yeah. Yep. Now, the, the what I do have is oxidized LDL is high. Oh, yeah. It's over 135. Yeah, exactly. Because your LDL is super. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, right? Like if you've got really high LDL and it's sitting in your blood too long, it gets oxidized. You can measure that. Okay. Yeah. And that's that's a dangerous thing. I have published peer reviewed papers on oxidized LDL and it's it's reactive stuff, right? It's just like anything else. It's inflammatory. Um so, but the point is like, if you've got these gene, risk genes for high cytosterols, mm-hmm. and by the way, you're like one of the few people, I mean, maybe even the only person I've ever talked to that's actually had their blood work in front of them with cytosterols on the blood work, which is unbelievably awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I've had people go and get their cytosterols checked, but generally nobody's ever, I don't think I've ever had anybody say like, well, I got it right here, Yeah, which is awesome. But again, you don't even have the genes for that. So it's not at risk, but for those people that do have those genes, they're not clearing plant cholesterol. They pretty much should eliminate plants. Like those people, I, I'm, a, I'm basically adamant that they go carnivore. Wow. Even if they're vegans, <laughs> like you got it. You, you got to <laughs> avoid plants, man. And you can take some plant supplements. Like you could take, I don't know, resveratrol or something like some, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of resveratrol because it acts like estrogen at high doses, but you know what I mean? Like you could take those plant supplements because those are purified compounds from plants. They're not the plant cholesterol. Okay. You know what I mean? So like, so you can go carnivore and take some of those supplements and, and that would be a better way to optimize in certain cases. If you need some of those supplements, again, I'm looking at the, the genetics, right? Sure. So I want to cover every, all the bases. I don't want to be biased and say, I want you to just do this and no supplements ever. Right. Well, now I had heard that the, in terms of the plant sterols, that there's actually an argument to be made for someone who had had these problematic genes, like you're talking about that we can actually increase those plant sterols pretty significantly just through things like coffee. Is that true? Probably, but it's not going to be anywhere near having the, the genetic issue. Okay. Because let's say you're you're drinking coffee and you're eating loads of plants, right? Like let's say you're a vegan, sure, right? And your cytosterols are, 
you know, below the range still because your body, what happens is if you switch, if you're carnivore and then you suddenly shift into vegan, mm -hmm. right? Your body's like, holy shit, right? Like I'm getting blasted with all these plant cholesterols and these plants, these cytosterols, and those will shoot way up because your body can't deal with it. Mm. But if you ease into it, your body will start to increase the, the ability to, uh, it's like, it's like trying to change. Like if you've got a factory and you're making airplanes and then somebody mm. comes in the next day and says, no, I want you to, you got all the equipment necessary to make semi trucks. Let's do that. Yeah. Right. You can't do that. The next suddenly you're not going to be kicking out semi trucks the next day. Right. Even though you got all the machines, right. You basically have to modify them in such a way that they're going to, you know, be used to make semi trucks. And that's going to take a few weeks. Of course. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Like if you're, if you just make these drastic shifts, yeah, your blood work's going to shoot way up, but then your body is going to, the epigenetics are going to change and you're going to start dealing with those. You're going to make more of the enzymes that clear them unless you have a genetic issue, right? That's where the blueprint is really important. Yeah. Well, this is a fantastic point because what I love about this is, is humans are hilarious in 2019. Like it's such <laughs> instant gratification, everything. We're like, when someone comes from a standard American diet to Clovis, they're like, is this safe? What's going to happen? And I'm like, look, literally, you could be on a Twinkie diet for two years. Right, lose weight, yeah. And you're not going to die. Right, right. You know, it's like that people think that I'm going to do this, I'm going to try vegan for three weeks and it's somehow going to kill me. Right. Like, no, it just doesn't work that way. People get so obsessed with this stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, you can experiment like crazy, right? Well, it's oh, yeah, for sure. And you should. I think people should know their, their body because you have to, right? Like, yeah. that's part of just knowledge is power, right? Like, like Socrates says, know thyself. Right. Right. That's why he was considered the smartest man in the world because, you know, he had a recognition of himself and his self-knowledge. And I think the best way to do that is to experiment and understand your genetics, your DNA code. And, you know, but even there, like I say, you still got to tinker with this stuff. Absolutely. And Pete, that's the thing. People are so afraid to tinker. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just don't get that. It's like, just because I, I preach a certain type of Clovis protocol or whatever. It doesn't mean I wouldn't try vegan to experiment. I've experimented with all sorts of crazy shit, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Same here. I mean, I inject peptides and yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got a bunch okay. of peptides. I meant to tell you that. <laughs> Rock on. Yeah. I, after our last talk, right. I, I, I got them. I have a, I have a connection for peptides now. <laughs> Good for you, man. It, it's, it's really an interesting lever to pull, you know? Yeah. And you didn't have any genes that jumped out at me for, for like needing peptides to fix certain things like like certainly they work anyway you know despite your genetics and certain to certain degree but if you've got genes that are, that make it way more important you know for certain goals that you might have then i may have you know then i would have included them on this okay but yeah that's awesome yeah man it's gonna be exciting <laughs> different different topic for a different day probably because absolutely we could talk all day here. Man, one thing I was super excited about too is is the the sleep genes. I know we're probably coming up on time for you, but the um Yeah, we should go through a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah, let's go through those and and then wrap it up. I mean, I just want to let me bring up that pain sensitivity gene too, the L, the, the the one in the pain tolerance. Yeah, because basically um you have real low pain sensitivity, so you don't feel pain the same way most people do. It makes a lot of sense in my life. <laughs> yeah, and that's not super common. I mean, the, the issue, the risk for that is, you know, you go for a run or something and at two months, you know, you don't feel pain and then blow your knee out completely. Mm, right. Right. Whereas like people on the other end of the extreme that have the other version of these genes, they, 
they feel pain super acutely and really strong and they're real sensitive to pain and then they wimp out way before they should, right? And for those people, you say, well, you got to work through the pain. You got to just suffer a little bit. But for you, you don't want to do that. You got to be cautious. And that actually tells me too, like if you've got gut, if you feel pain in your gut, then you really have a lot of gut issues. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really interesting in my personal life. I mean, I think I I got, I actually thought I was like some kind of masochist or something. (laughs) Because I'm like, I'm super drawn to just like punishing my body. I don't know why. I've always been that way. Yeah. So I wanted, I didn't want to just like gloss over that because I don't explain that one in the, in the report that you've got. I only kind of explain it when we go through it, but sleep genes, I mean, to be honest, you have pretty good sleep genes. You are pretty sensitive to blue light. If you'll notice in that category. Yeah. Yeah. Plus plus. And that's the only plus plus you have. So the other ones are a little more optional and not, you know, like hit or miss in terms of whether you can predict, but there's some supplement ideas like melatonin like period circadian regulator gene, PER, mm-hmm. that's considered like the pacemaker for your, your brain, you know, like basically in terms of your sleep cycles, you have, a, you potentially have delayed sleep cycles. I don't know if you do track it with aura. I do. Yeah. So I track and it. Do you get like, do you get at least an hour of deep or do you, you know, do you struggle with always, always at least an hour. And okay, that's good. something that I've been really trying to be a biohacker about. Like actually Dave Asprey talks a lot about this where he's like, you know, I can sleep six hours and I've gotten it to where my deep sleep is 30%. And I'm like, what? That's oh. insane, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those peptide, deep sleep inducing peptide is probably the best way to, if you're going to go that extreme. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you do have that gene, so it is tougher. Like my wife, man, she'll get three hours of deep sleep, like virtually no matter what. She'll wake up with the kids and still crank out three hours. What? <laughs> so, That's amazing. So like some people are just gifted in terms of, you know, getting that. Yeah. And she doesn't do anything to biohack, you know. I think the the biggest one for me was eating. Like if I eat in the evening, if I have a snack in the evening, it totally ruins my deep sleep. And that, oh wow, that's so fundamental, but it's so overlooked by most people. They're like, oh, I have sleep issues. Like, well, do you eat after six p.m.? It's like, oh yeah, every night. No, of course. <laughs> well, let's start there. The biggest drivers that I've seen in terms of deep sleep, which one that's very well known is alcohol, yep. um, and two. I just did this as, again, I experiment with all sorts of crazy shit all the time. So I just got an actual THC vape pen Yeah, and was like, I'm going to try this. So I just got stoned a couple nights and every yeah. single time I did that deep sleep dead. It's gone. Yep. Like no deep sleep. I couldn't, it was the yep. biggest marker mover I've ever seen. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. I'm not surprised at all. In fact, let me just scroll up and look at your cannabis section if you don't mind. Sure. I mean, well, and I say that too, because I know so many people that claim they smoke weed before bed because it helps them sleep. And I'm like, I don't think yeah. it might help you fall asleep. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it varies a little bit different people. I mean, you don't have any like extreme paranoia genes or anything with cannabis. Um, Which genes I mean, are those? Well, there's a gene called AKT. Okay. And, and you could, you know, some people have that, the bad version of that gene and they almost always hate cannabis because it gives mm-hmm. them extreme paranoia, uncomfortable paranoia. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody gets a little bit if you get really high, but it's like the point where it's, you know, <laughs> it's just not even enjoyable. Yeah. People end up like calling the police on themselves and stuff exactly. like, help me, exactly. I'm dying. <laughs> right, right, right. No, but I mean... Sometimes melatonin actually will uh, will mess up your deep sleep as well. So just be aware, but you should try it just to, just as a, uh, a biohack and see. So that I've tested pretty significantly. There you have. Yeah. And I've tried things like like Doc Parsley's sleep, sleep remedy. 
Yep. Which has vitamin D by the way. Oh yeah. Which lowers your melatonin, but yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting because I, I've done doc parsley's quite a bit and it's never improved my deep sleep. Yeah. Yeah. What about melatonin straight? Have you tried that? I have. Yeah. But I, I need to check. Um, I, I usually do the, the, the on it spray. Okay. Cool. And I don't see like astronomically higher deep sleep levels, but I really only mess with the the mel- pure melatonin when I'm traveling. Sure. So it's not act- like I need to mess with that at home in my sleep environment and see what the deep sleep does. Yeah, I'd be curious because I mean, again, you have a plus minus where melatonin usually is beneficial, but for some people it's the opposite. Mm. And that's always interesting. I think the blue light is probably the biggest one for you just to be cautious with. You could try lithium because of that clock gene. Yeah. They've done studies showing lithium improves people's sleep when they have that bad version of that gene. Okay. And again, that's super low dose. You don't want to go into like the schizophrenia doses type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And be careful with that lithium orotate. That's most, most people, when they take lithium, they take lithium orotate. When lithium breaks free of orotate, it releases something called erotic acid, O-R-O-T-I-C, erotic. Mm-hmm. And erotic acid is literally used in animals to, as like a liver cancer model to increase, to like basically give the animals liver cancer. Wow. You know, yeah. it's not even that high of a dose. It doesn't take that. Like, it's a terrible idea that the reason they, they kind of tout it, they, a lot of people are buying magnesium orotate now, which I'm, I'm appalled with because that one also, it's going to release free or erotic acid. And that's really nasty stuff. Okay. And the reason they do that is because there's studies showing that there's like, if you're completely deficient in magnesium mm-hmm. or, or lithium or any other mineral, and then you take lithium aspartate or magnesium aspartate or citrate or malate or whatever, it, you know, it gets into your brain, but it's not super fast, you know, but then if you take magnesium orotate, right or lithium orotate or whatever, it gets into your brain a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, yeah, it gets into your brain super fast. So like, let's better form. So let's go with that. So all these biohackers are big fans because they see that study and are those studies. And the problem is if you're, that's if you're totally deficient, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you're just consistent about taking it all the time, right? Then your levels are already good and your brain's already getting plenty. And then, then it doesn't make any difference, you know? So yeah, yeah. why increase your risk for cancer substantially? <laughs> Anyways, that's just a little. Yeah. So, so I guess one thing I want to say just in terms of like the actionable steps. So when we talk about these genes, are we talking about like, you want to get down 95% of your health is like the not smoking, eating a species appropriate, probably some form of ancestral diet, high quality sleep, some exercise, removing toxic products from your environment, right? Right. These things are gonna be the biggest return on investment. Yeah, exactly. And then it seems like this genetic stuff is the last few percent of optimization. In some cases, yeah. Although sometimes, like say, for people that have extreme genes, it's pretty massive, you know? Okay. But yeah, exactly. If you've got good genes like you've got, it's a, it's a 5% difference or whatever, but some people, man, it's, it's, it's tricky because like that liver example at the beginning, right? Like you got risk for high iron, you've got a necessary, like a risk for low retinol. So you need to take retinol and the best mm-hmm. way to do that is usually the liver, you know, there's, and then you've got this tenfold risk for heart disease because right. your iron is too high. You know, there's all these intricacies that if you've, if the, if the stars align, you know, it can yeah. be a real problem and they can be a massive boost to know your genetics. And then some people it's minor, but I still think it's valuable. Oh, it's so valuable. Even the little stuff, like someone who suffers from anxiety might not know that they have a caffeine sensitivity related to anxiety. That's, that's super freeing, you know? Right. right. I think so too. Yeah. 
So the best way for them, I recommend everybody go directly to you. And that would just be the ajconsultingcompany.com, right? And they'd need their 23andMe raw data. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. And and I've got coaches now too, which are a lot more affordable for people. Um, Sure. Because I was getting way too, my wait list was multiple months, like two or three months. And I kept, I kept having to move the price up and I don't like to do that because I like to be able to talk to normal people, not just pro athletes or whatever. Right. right. I've done yeah. MMA fighters. I've done all kinds of interesting people that are active in NFL and MLB yeah. and all this. But like I say, I want to be able to reach people that need that, you know, like that have health issues. And yeah, that's the solution I have now. Maybe I'll come do your training, dude. That's what I need to do. I need to become yeah, a, coach. Get a coach. Yeah, I get the guy. <laughs> exactly. That'd be awesome. That'd be <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you for looking at all my data and we'll put all your links and everything in the show notes so people can get in touch and, and hopefully work with you. Thanks, Justin. All right, brother. Thanks, man. I got a good thing somewhere, somewhere. But I closed my eyes and lost my way. It felt so-